Hello, and welcome to this week's Worldwide Civility Council podcast on civility. Today's podcast is a discussion with Russia Shavonia and Robert Sachs of the history and work of the Worldwide Civility Council. Russ Shavonia is the president of the Worldwide Civility Council. Welcome to another version of Civility Speaks. I'm Robert Sachs. I believe this is podcast number uh, seven that we're doing. And today I want to do something a little bit different. Normally what I've done in the past is do a little bit of reading from my book and then make commentary about it. But today I want to um, introduce to you and talk with uh, one of the mentors who really inspired me to write the book and also get involved with various civility initiatives. He is uh, the president of the Worldwide Civility Council, Russ Charvonia. And before I uh, ask him a question, or uh, you'll see him on screen, obviously, and he's in front of the logo of the Worldwide Civility Council, I just want to uh, mention one thing, and that's from the dedication in my book. And I say over the past or last several years, I have benefited greatly in my pursuit membership and studies in Freemasonry. Grandmasters of California, and the first one I mentioned is Most Worshipful Russ Chavonia. So uh, Russ, I believe, was the Grandmaster of Freemasons of California in 2014, am I right? You are. All right. And, um, and really, it was uh, not only just meeting him then, but also uh, when he came to our lodge and did a presentation on civility, I got very moved and inspired by what he was doing. And it was a very helpful uh, meeting uh, in our lodge. So at this point, I'm wanting to say welcome to uh, Russ um, and um, thank you for being part of this today. And thank you, Bob, and I'm humbled by even being mentioned in your book. Um, and I've read the book, it's a terrific read, and those of you that haven't had a chance yet, uh, it, please look forward to getting it as soon as you're able. That was, that was very nice of you, thank you. Thank you, Russ. Um, the thing I wanna look at is, um, obviously you've been doing these presentations for a while, but I wanna find out what do you think uh, inspired you to want to really bring this forth as a real, it seems like a, a kind of mission and a very strong purpose for you. So what was it do you think that really inspired you in that way? It is indeed a, a passion and if you will, a calling. And I'm gonna answer your question by sharing with you the actual genesis of this. Um, for those of your listeners who aren't Masons, uh, the Grand Master of a jurisdiction of a state is, is over the entire state for that one year period, in this case, California. And back in 2013, uh, I was in the car with Most Worshipful John Cooper, the Grand Master the year before me, and he was in charge of, of putting together the Conference of Grand Masters of North America the following year. And I suggested to him that, you know, maybe since he's in charge of, it, of the committee that puts it together, we could do something that's really standing for something big and bold. And so he asked what I had in mind. I said, you know, taking the, the teachings of Freemasonry about how to treat others with dignity and respect, if you will, with civility, and, and sharing that with the group and having us on a, on a North American basis 
go out and stand for that. And so he pulled together his committee, we presented it to them, they bought into the idea. And so February of 2014 in Baltimore, I shared this idea with about 800 delegates uh, there at the conference. And that's where we gained traction. Uh, and so we've met every month since then, and we have accomplished an awful lot. Uh, we know that our work is immense in front of us. There are many times that I thought that our work was in vain. And I should just take my time, sweat, and money and apply it to something else. And then I'll get a phone call or an email from someone that says, you know, something you shared with me back three, four, six years ago helped me in this instance. And that's frankly what keeps me going. I think what's interesting about it, Russ, is that oftentimes um, people have this concept of civility being just very benign or it's the, uh, the play nice place that you go to if you're trying to get things done or have people go your way. But I think what's very fascinating in this, uh, and I think we've talked about this a little bit, is that for something that is quote unquote so benign in people's notion of it, it is amazing to, uh, to encounter um, the resistance or the tension that comes up when you literally bring up the idea that it's possible to be more civil. Yes, you brought up an awful lot there. First is, you know, what is the definition of civility? And it's one of those things that it's there, we recognize it when we see it, but we really recognize it when it's not there. And evidence of this was back six years ago, we thought the first thing we ought to do is, is to find the word amongst ourselves. And we came up with all kinds of pretty good uh, definitions, but nothing that was quite it. And after four months of futility in this effort, I did what I should have done with the at the outset, which was Googled it, typed in civility in Wikipedia, and I'm not kidding here, it said C, incivility. <laughs> and it was an aha moment for us. It's clearly so much easier to find what it is not than what it is. There is now a definition there, by the way, and it's a definition we put in there. We submitted to Wikipedia. Uh, thanks in large measure to the work of uh, Brandon Lippincott from Thousand Oaks, California. But the word civility is now being weaponized, right? What I call weaponized. Um, kind of like, you know, well, somebody that, that has trigger points, they're a snowflake, these negative connotations. And I've had people suggest that we not use the word civility for that very reason. And, and I'm frankly not going to shy away from it or apologize for it because it does stand for something. It does mean something. And it's so much more than just avoiding difficult subjects or being courteous and polite to others. It, it's more than just etiquette. True civility is what allows us to engage in meaningful, productive conversations where we have a remarkable difference between us and the other person. You don't need civility when things are going smoothly. You need it when times are difficult. And so it's, it's a habit that we need to learn. It's, it's a new technique that we need to relearn, if you will, uh, and a, a re resolve a resolution, if you will. And I think it can start with our younger people. They're the ones that are getting this message, frankly, better than the older generation. 
I think what's interesting about that, uh, Russ, is that the last uh, the last podcast I did, I was talking about two forms of, uh, uh, in Buddhism, you have these four forms of compassion. And the first two are relatively peaceful. And the idea is that the first one is where everybody's kind of in agreement and it, it's very simpatico. And that's kind of the notion that we have. But what I said was actually that is where in some ways there's the greatest danger because what can happen is that that can make people get very lazy, it can make people begin to get smug and develop in crowds, who's saying it right, who's not saying it right. And suddenly what was seemingly so benign and peaceful becomes so incredibly um, toxic as a result. So it's one of those things where I've always said, every group needs a good heretic. You know, someone who in some ways reminds people of the original mandate and making sure that people really stay true to that. Our complacency can be, can be, can lead to real trouble. And we have to always fight complacency. That doesn't mean go look for trouble, but it certainly means allow yourself to be uncomfortable more than you do allow yourself to be comfortable. So, so in that regard, um, I just want to, um, have you explain what the Worldwide Civility Council is and um, how it came to be and what its mission is? Thank you for the opportunity. So we have discovered that we were doing different things along the spectrum of restoring civility to society. Uh, we, as I mentioned, have the Masonic Family Civility Project. That was the, the impetus of this six and a half years ago. From there, we created a civility toolkit that's available at civilitycenter.com. We developed a civility scorecard. This is a, 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 a using artificial intelligence to rate a person's relative level of civility in speech. And that's built and, and available today. We had hosted the first urgency of civility conference in Alexandria, Virginia in May of 2019. We'll be repeating that again May of 2021. Um, out of that conference in May came the idea that we should offer individuals and organizations the ability to become certified in a civil way. So we are forming, we're in the process of forming the certified civil designation. And that came out of that conference. So we have an awful lot of efforts, as you can see here, and it was suggested that we bring those under one umbrella. And that umbrella today is the nonprofit organization, the Worldwide Civility Council. And that is made up of a board of directors of both Masons and non-Masons, people from all different walks of life. And the sole purpose of this is to be kind of a, a clearinghouse, a, a repository, if you will, of other people and other organizations that are trying to achieve the same objective, that of restoring civility in society. And so as we create tools, we're sharing them with the world. As we're identifying other resources and tools, we're sharing those as well. Uh, are there any specific projects you're working on right now? Uh, let me count them all. <laughs> as I mentioned, the Certified Civil is our primary focus right now. Uh, we think that's going to be ready for beta testing in um, the third quarter of this year, late third quarter of, of 2020 here. And uh, we can look for that to be spread far and wide early on in 2021. 
the Urgency of Civility Conference. I'd love for your listeners to put these dates in their calendars, May 17th to May 19th of 2021. It may be all virtual, it may be all in person or some hybrid of it, but that's where we're bringing together people who are all doing their parts to restore civility in some segment of society. We come together to figure out how we can be more effective in our work. And we really saw that borne out last time. Um, a lot of other projects that, that we are working on, uh, frankly, too numerous to name right now. Okay. Um, I do know, as a, as a member of the board, we are investigating and trying to create um, a real serious look at the issue of, of racial disparity. And um, what, what, does it, what is that initiative involving right now? So the first thing we are finalizing is a statement, a statement of where, where we stand on the issue. And that statement starts off very clearly that racial injustice and racial inequalities are unacceptable. And the role we see as the Worldwide Civility Council is to facilitate conversations around these very important issues. Uh, our voice, frankly, in, in, in joining with others, isn't going to be as important. We're not going to have as much impact, we feel, as if we can help to facilitate these conversations. I think what's interesting about that is it's really learning how to delineate what is obviously be, become uh, political uh, um, hot potatoes, but really addressing these as, as humanitarian concerns, which cross over all boundaries. And I think that's a, a real important aspect of what uh, the council is trying to achieve. You're precisely right. I had a conversation with another one of our board members yesterday, Bertie Simmons, who wrote the book Whispers of Hope. Uh, and another incredible read, read that right after you read Bob's book. But um, she made a comment as we were talking about these racial tensions that are going on, that you can't legislate heart. And that stuck with me. Um, we do need certain legislation. There's no question in my mind. Personally, I would like to see meaningful law enforcement reform, um, giving the guidance to law enforcement officers and so on. But that alone isn't going to do it because laws are violated, rules are violated all the time. What we have to change is the conscience of society. And that's going to come about by getting people with different opinions, different backgrounds, different perspectives on matters in the room having productive conversations about the tremendous problems we have in this country. We have to be able to facilitate meaningful dialogue before we can begin to get meaningful legislation or make meaningful long-term systemic change. I think what's interesting when you're saying that is I was envisioning this in my mind like, um, it's one thing to read about civility in your own room and just thinking, you know, um, the concepts and the philosophy and everything like that. And I've always, oftentimes made the comment that the best teacher is disaster. The best teacher is when there's something that blows up in your face and you need to do something about it. But in between that is conversation. And to me, I think in many respects, uh, how I envision the idea of civility in these situations in terms of convening is that 
you help people to convene, not to celebrate that they're convening, but that they're willing to lean into a problematic issue from different points of view. I was on a, uh, a call uh, with you uh, a couple days ago, and one of the things that really struck me in that, that Zoom call with many different people um, was, and because some new people were invited into the situation, was the level of tension that was presented that they were experiencing in terms of racial disparity. And it really took my breath, breath away to realize how deep and how ongoingly painful this has been. And you can't just say, well, you can just let it go. The answer is, if this has been in your upbringing since you've been one, two, three years old, you just don't let it go. There's gotta be a way in which we can sit in a room and squirm and get used to it. So um, to me, that's what I look, I am encouraged by the idea, and I remember um, uh, most worshipful John Cooper mentioning because I was looking at the chat box, and he said, um, "I said, where do you begin with this?" He said, "You begin by talking about it. You begin by talking about it. You begin by being introspective. Yeah, we we have to face our own implicit biases. We have to to fess up that we all have them." and then seek to understand what they are. And then only by communicating with people who, against whom we have those biases, will we begin to deal with them, to address them. You, you can't just say to yourself, well, I believe that, now stop believing. That you're gonna stop or change your beliefs by interacting with that person. I, I had another, we keep referring back to other conversations we've had, um, which shows how many conversations we're all having these days, which is perhaps a blessing from the pandemic. But I, I had a conversation with a, a PhD candidate who is studying um, law enforcement hiring evaluations and so on. And so we had a, a, just a fascinating conversation because this, this is really important to me. And um, I made the, the comment about how you can do the evaluation at the beginning, but it seems to me you have to have some way of evaluating people in that role on an ongoing basis. And he, he told me that he believes that nobody joins law enforcement to exhibit any kinds of bigoted feelings. And I, I buy that. I buy that there's going to be the occasional bad apple, but it's a real rarity. Um, but he talked about how this implicit bias can develop, he believes, and he's studying it, by, you know, if you get shot at by a person of a particular race, that's starting to build it. It happens a second time, it's there. And one possible solution he had, it's being studied, was move law enforcement into different demographic areas so that they're not building that, that totally subconscious, unconscious bias up. And how I'm interpreting that for us non-law enforcement folks is we need to put ourselves in positions, like you just said, where we're uncomfortable. And we need to be curious about people who are different from ourselves, genuinely curious, and, and seek to understand. And when we do that, that's when we're growing. That's when these, these biases will start to, to, to separate 
and go their separate ways. It's going to take work and it takes vulnerability. I think what's interesting about what you're saying is I oftentimes, and because you know that I'm, I'm very involved with the meditative community and I, I like to do, um, encourage the idea of mindfulness being a real important practice to be involved with and then step into civility. But I also think that, that um, those aha moments in uncomfortable conversations can, for many people, just go to you know, put a create a situation in their mind where they go, well, that felt different, and maybe I should look at that more. So suddenly, mindfulness becomes the logical thing they wish to pursue because they see the result of having had a conversation is something positive came out of it. So I see it working both ways that you learn a meditative practice to engage, but or you get into these situations and you discover that mindfulness is quite healthy and feels good. <laughs> yes, and to that I would add, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Absolutely. I, I you know, I for your listeners that can't see me, I am white. I can't put myself in a position of a black parent who is, you know, terrified every time their their black son is driving. You know, I think about when I get pulled over, it's happened a couple of times in my life, and my heart's pounding like crazy. And I frankly don't have a fear that I'm gonna be shot or mistreated or whatever. I don't have a fear that by reaching into my glove box and getting my insurance card and my registration that the cops can assume I'm going for a gun. Right. I can't begin to relate to that. So when I'm talking to a black parent, I may say something that is not accurate. I may be making a mistake without a presumption on it. I'm willing to, to make myself vulnerable that way in order to learn. And I found with people, you and I are both Jewish, Bob, and we have people who say things that are offensive to us. It's generally not with any kind of morals. And when I say something to them, you know, this is why that was offensive. They feel bad about it. They learn from it. And we're over it today. That's how we're going to be able to learn about different kinds of cultures. I, I know you can, Tom, have a crystal ball on the future. But I would, let's look at, let's say, uh, more modest outcomes you would like to achieve. Um, let's say in the next, um, between now and the Urgency and Civility uh, Conference in 2021, what outcomes would you like to see either in the community or moving towards this conference? I'm generally an optimist. Six years ago, I suggested to the conference grandmasters that the world about us was becoming increasingly uncivil. And I further suggested that if left unchecked, this might well become a world that we're not willing to leave to our children and our children's children. Six and a half years later, the world has become increasingly uncivil. In fact, I have to admit, it's probably more uncivil today than I imagined it was going to be six plus years ago. Between now and our May conference, we have a presidential election, senatorial elections. I'm not going to predict which way the elections are going to turn out. What I will predict is that about half of the United States is going to be incredibly upset while the other half is incredibly good. I think it's going to bear out that our divisions 
are more stark than they are today, if you can imagine. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that we have more division in this country. It just means we become more polarized. And, and the, the, the figures show this. What I'm hoping for is that we will find a grassroots effort. We can't rely on it coming from the top down. But this grassroots effort that is really gaining significant traction will begin to change our outlook and our conversation. This is truly up to each and every one of us. There's not gonna be a savior in the federal government that steps to the fore. There's not gonna be a savior in the, the bounds of Freemasonry or your religious institution. It's gonna be each of us resolving each and every day to treat the people with whom we come in contact a little bit better than we did yesterday. That's where I gain my strength. That's where I gain my options. We can do it so long as we don't let it reach that breaking point. And I'm afraid we are dangerously close to that breaking point. And so long as there are places like the Worldwide Civility Council and people getting together in ways that you've described, there is that shard of light which oftentimes can spark something much greater. I, I want to thank you. Um, all of us, we've been listening to um, Russ Charvarni is the president of the Worldwide Civility Council. And um, I, I'm um, joyful to say a good friend and a, uh, a uh, person I lock arms with in this effort. So um, thank you so much. And uh, let's, we'll obviously stay in touch and um, hope to do this again in the future. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the good work you're doing, Bob. Thank you very much, sir. Bye-bye. This has been another podcast from the Worldwide Civility Council. We thank you for listening. For further information on civility and our other projects, please check out our website at civilitycouncil.org. Thank you.